a Podcast One production. Be true to yourself and always be consistent with that. And that builds a fellowship and a trust that's fundamental, I think, to any leaders. Don't try to pretend to be something you're not and bring that humanity and authenticity to leadership and that will shape your success and make you more successful and, to be honest, happy. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX-listed companies. And this is Fast Track. There's a great quote by the legendary leadership theorist Bill George. It goes, There are too many examples of how other people lead. There are no examples of what's authentic to you until you get there, so you have to search for it. I've been privileged to work with hundreds of very successful people, and a large majority of them form what is known as their leadership credo, a set of guiding principles that anchors their decisions, style, and ultimately the principles that they lead with. John Damani has been a leader of leaders for many decades. His experience is vast and his reflections many. Currently, he is the CEO of ZipTaps, the incredible addition to everyone's office kitchen and home. I'm so grateful John has joined me today so we can talk about leadership credo and how to build the guiding principles that will shape your career. John, thanks for joining me today. I'm curious as to when you first came across this concept of a leadership credo. Where were you? Well, Margie, I I think I've had a few sort of pivotal, I've been very lucky in my as you said, decades career. I'm sort of in the twilight of my career, I guess. And so I guess you inevitably, when you get to that, you start to reflect back on your career and the experiences you've had. When I think about it, I've been very, very fortunate because I've had a few pivotal experiences in my career that have shaped my leadership, um, my, my leadership style and my views on leadership. And probably the first one, to your point, was uh, way back Um, I'm sort of thinking it was about 35 years ago. And I was coming through the ranks in that stage with Johnson & Johnson. Uh, I was in the UK. And I was coming through the ranks and taking on more senior leadership positions. And I wasn't sure of myself. You know, I was trying to figure out, you know, what sort of leader am I? And and, and I was also trying to figure out, was, was I suited to the sort of work I was doing? And I was questioning it. And I can remember I had a boss at the time he was an American. We were in the UK. He ended up actually a wonderful guy. Paul Michaels is his name. He ended up running the Mars Group globally. So Paul was, you know, he's a pretty impressive guy, but a great guy. And I remember sitting down with him. It was a Friday evening and we we're at an offsite and everyone had gone. And I said, mate, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure I've made the right career choice because as I look at leaders that I, I've, I've experienced and I see around me, I'm not like them. I don't want to be like them. I'm not sure I fit. And he said to me at the time, um, and he's probably forgotten about it, but it stayed with me. He said, look, just be yourself. Just, you know, just whoever you are, just bring it to, you know, to your leadership and you will be more successful than most people will be. And it was a bit of a revelation to me. To be honest, I was sort of like, it was a relief. And I'm like, wow, I can just be myself. You don't have to be anybody else. I don't have to else. pretend to be all these other people who I actually don't want to be, who I, to be honest, couldn't do anyway. For me, it was a revelation and it was quite liberating. Um, mm. 
And that, that sort of said, that really did set me on that path of just being true to myself. Um, I am who I am. I am no different at work than I am at home. I bring, you know, all my life experiences as a, you know, the things that shaped me as a person are the things that shaped me as a leader. So that was probably the first pivotal point, you know, and there's been a few since then that have really shaped me, but that was the first one that set me on this path of just be yourself. Don't try to pretend to be something you're not and bring that humanity and authenticity to leadership and that will shape your success and make you more successful and, to be honest, happy. Yeah, and I was just going to ask. <laughs> Satisfied. Did, yeah, did that take the stress away from you that you yeah, had been no, feeling it, in that moment? Well, the fact that I can remember that, I can remember exactly where we were sitting, I can remember the conversation and I can remember how I felt and it was a revelation to me and it did. Yeah, it, it, it made it okay. To, it, it made it okay to do what I was probably doing anyway, which was being myself, um, but it made it sort of okay to do that and gave a purpose to it that I don't, you know, I, it was it was very, very, it was, it, was a, it was a relief. It was a relief to me. So it's a nice piece of advice for anybody really to, it's okay to be yourself. And you've mentioned two words, authenticity and this other idea of humanity. Mm. So what does that mean for you, authenticity and humanity? And where did that emerge from yeah. as a leader? Because they're two words. We've heard authenticity and it, it has been wrapped up as a bit of a corporate word occasionally. But what does that mean to you, authenticity and humanity? Well, yeah, for me personally, I mean, I, I, I'm very fortunate that I come from, you know, this big, crazy Lebanese family that I grew up in that... Um, you know, I think anyone who's grown up in that sort of environment learns to deal with, you know, the wonderful chaos of relationships and feeling comfortable in that, but also a very strong ethical background. My family, you know, and, and the way I was brought up was, you know, my great-grandfather was a priest, my grandfather was a priest, not that the religion is anything, but that sort of sense of ethics and values and doing what's right, you know, and so I'm always sort of sitting there thinking, if they were looking down at me, would they think I'm doing the right things, you know? Um, and so that, Lebanese family upbringing and the very strong ethics that my family had has always been with me and I find it really hard to compromise on those things. So that's when I think about authenticity and humanity, it's about being comfortable with people, enjoying people, being real and, you know, the, the enjoying the chaos of the interactions with people and, you know, I love that stuff. So, you know, that's why I love going to work. Um, and, and also, you know, just a strong sense of values and ethics that at the end of the day, you don't want to compromise. So in your mind and experience, what exactly is this leadership credo or philosophy? And I'd be yeah. curious to understand, is it something we form and then don't ever lose or is it an emergent thing? I think it's always emerging. I think it's always, I'm always learning. Um, but there's been, as I said earlier, a few sort of pivotal things that have shaped it for me. One was... Um, I was really fortunate. I, I grew up, you know, in my career sort of moving through leadership in a business that had a strong credo, which was Johnson & Johnson. And J&J &J wrote this thing called the credo 150 years ago. Um, and it's a very simple one pager that's four paragraphs that says your first responsibility are to the men, women and children who use your products. And you never compromise on that. You never compromise on the quality or the safety um, and the value that you give them. The second is to your employees. Um, now, when it was written 150 years ago, I think it was around job security, you know, jobs for life. I think in today's world, no one expects that. But I think what people do expect is that they expect to work in a business where they are encouraged and, 
you know, rewarded for just doing what's right, that they feel as though um, the time they've been with the business, because people do leave for whatever reason, they look back and they feel as though you've enhanced their skill, that they've been in an environment where they've been recognized for doing the right things, encouraged for doing the right things, and you've added value to the skills that they have. So the first is to the men, women, children, use your products, second responsibility is to the employees. The third is to the community. And that, you know, can be philanthropic, you know, um, initiatives. It can be environmental sustainability. It can be pay your fair share of taxes. It's just do the right thing for the communities that you're in. And if you look after those three, you know, your, 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 your consumers, your employees and the community, the fourth one being the shareholder looks after itself. So you focus on those three and you build a business for the long-term success and the shareholder benefits from, you know, doing the right thing by those other three stakeholders. Now, some businesses get it around the other way and go for financial returns at the expense of those other three stakeholders. You may get a short-term gain, but you'll die eventually. And so that's been a really fundamental leadership, you know, um, checkpoint for me, that that J&J Credo if look after your customers, look after your employees, look after the community that you're in, everything else will look after itself. That's really extraordinary, John. Something that you've carried then from Johnson & Johnson, I'm assuming, into other yeah. organisations. Yeah, it's just sort of fundamental to every, I mean, I just I sort of do this mental checkpoint in my mind. It can happen, you know, scores of times in any day on any decision that you're making, in any interaction that you have, you know, am I being true to this? Uh, and it's just sort of built into me now. It's just a fundamental way of thinking, which I believe in, because I don't even want to build things for the long term. I've been lucky, actually, in businesses that I've worked. They've all been businesses that have already stood the test of time. I don't want to be the guy to screw it up, you know. <laughs> but also, you know, I've been able, I think, I'd like to think to enhance the longevity of the business by by just being true to that value. Okay, that's fantastic. And I'm really curious, again, about as a leader of leaders, are you able to teach other leaders how to have a credo because it's got to be their own. So do you teach your leaders um, this skill? Well, I, what, I, what I'd like to think I do is create an environment where it's easy for them to, do, to live by those values and also to encourage them to do it. And if I see examples where we're not doing it, to call it and call it pretty loudly. So if that, by doing those things, if that teaches people, I'd like to think that people have a good people have a predisposition to work that way anyway. And if you can just create an environment where they feel as though they're swimming with the current as opposed to against it when they do those things. Or in a rip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Then, it, you know, it, it sort of takes on a life of its own and, and the whole organisation moves in that direction. Because I think I would like to think there's a predisposition for people to want to move in that direction anyway. And as long as you just continue to reinforce it, now, it's delicate though. It is delicate because you've got to be true to it in everything you do. The minute that, you, you know, you show up as not living by those values, then all of a sudden people start to question it. So, you've, you know, it's it's not easy to do and it makes some decisions, you know, a lot more difficult than others. Uh, you know, they would be otherwise. But, you know, if you do stay true to it, you try and live by it, you encourage it in others, you create an environment where people feel that's it's okay to be like that. I think people have a natural tendency to work that way anyway. I'd like to think. Tell me 
about the decision-making piece here, John, because I have one client that I work with that's had a leadership credo that actually has helped him make decisions about whether he moved offshore, you know, it involves his family, his work ethic, and it's a holistic view of how to be a leader in the Mm. community Mm. and other places. Mm. Have you used your sort of style and credo and your values to make decisions along the way? Absolutely. Look, I certainly personally... You know, and it comes back to not just the, the, the J&J credo philosophy, but it also comes back to my sense of values as a family and my upbringing. I, I've always tried to make decisions personally that are about my family first. And, and there's a number of times in my career where, you know, I've made decisions to um, either make moves or not make moves, actually, um, because they wouldn't have been the best moves for my family and I would never compromise on that. And I sit here now feeling extremely, if there's one thing I'm, I'm proud of in my career is I've never had to compromise and never have compromised what I feel is right for me and my family personally in order to get ahead. Um, I've managed to achieve the things I've done within the context first and foremost of being true to myself and being true to my family because that's who I am. You know, I can't be any other way. Yeah. So having a credo or a philosophy allows you to actually have an anchor then, a leadership anchor. There's something that enables you to make decisions. It's a compass. uh, Lead other people. It's a compass. It's a compass. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a very clear compass and I've been, you know, I've been lucky. I've never had to, or I don't know if I ever could compromise on that. There's something that also gave you an anchor, a story that I'd like you to tell me yeah, it was a very powerful one. I, 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 you know, one of the, one of the, the challenges in business is like what makes some businesses successful and others not? How do some businesses succeed in terms of culture and others don't? When I was the managing director of Johnson & Johnson back here, this is like 26 years ago when I took over as managing director, very early on I was at, a, at a, uh, an event at the Sydney Children's Hospital was, uh, in, when it was still in Camperdown. And I was talking with the head of oncology and he was telling me about the success they have with children with cancer, how they have a 90% plus success rate in treating young, you know, young kids with cancer. And I said, oh, that's, you know, more than adults, much more successful than adults. And I said, is that a physiological thing? Is that about, you know, cell regeneration or, um, and he said, no, it's, it's actually a mental thing. It's a, they know they're sick, but they don't carry the stress. They just assume they're going to get better. And because they don't carry that fear and stress, they have that much more strength in their bodies to fight the illness. And I always thought in business, you know, we all work in, in organizations, it's always chaos. You know, even the most well-run companies that may, you may think from the outside are like slick machines, it's always chaos. There's always crises, there's always challenges, there's always you know, um, you know, issues to deal with, things go wrong, people make mistakes. That's just normal, you know. And I think it's the businesses that can deal with that chaos in a way that the child deals with the illness that has that much more energy to, to just get on and build a business that succeeds. And so that's, you know, when he, when he spoke to me about that, it sort of stuck in my mind as being a really, you know, powerful model for leadership in a business. You know, you don't want people, you see quite often in, you know, or hear of situations where things go wrong, that people get defensive. They carry the stress of it. Oh my God, what's someone going to think? Am I going to lose my job because of this mistake? 
you know, oh my God, how could this have happened? And they waste all of that nervous energy on all of that stuff as opposed to going, yeah, it's normal. Things go wrong. You know, it happens. Um, how, you know, now how do we deal with it? Let's just, you know, everything's solvable. We can solve all the, you know, anything that hits us, we can solve it. Let's just get on and solve it and move on and try and take all that stress and angst out of it. And then you get organizations move faster and smarter than their competitors because they're not encumbered by all of that stuff. They're dealing with the chaos and the issues the same way the child deals with the illness by just assuming it'll be fine and just getting on and fixing it. And so I've tried to, that's sort of been a fundamental style of leadership and tried, always been a fundamental culture I've tried to develop everywhere I've been because, you know, you feel you're in an organization that, you know, you just get on it. It's easier, it's faster, it's smarter, and you win. Yeah, that's yeah. well, it's very, very powerful. And as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing these data points that have come all through your life from a child living and growing up and appreciating the chaos mm. that was a large, seemingly loud Lebanese fun, fun crazy, cake, crazy <laughs> good time yeah, yeah, um, yeah. family. And then the points of which you're feeling down and you hear something from a leader, you've taken the time to reflect and utilise that for your greater good in your career. And then you've been able to absorb things from an organisational credo that's mm. not even directed at you personally, but you're thinking about how that might apply to yourself. And then other data points like being in the children's hospital and asking a curious question about recovery and then taking and absorbing that on. Mm. In my mind, there's a very strong self-reflection and opportunity f that you have had during your career to take things mm. and then mould them into your leadership effectiveness and credo. Is that a correct yeah, I think take so. on it? I've never thought of it that way, but I, I think I think you're right. And I look forward now to sort of like, what am I going to learn tomorrow? Yeah. Because I'm sure there's other things out there that are going to help shape me even more. So, John, for anyone who wants to build a leadership credo, even if they're at the beginning of their careers, what are some of the things that you would recommend that they do or don't do to help build this? I think, I think, First and foremost would be um, that really first lesson that I, I spoke of, which was the one around be yourself, be authentic to yourself. Don't feel like you have to pretend to be somebody else because if you work for somebody who is authentic, it's so much, you know, it's so much more motivating and powerful. There's nothing worse than working for someone who you feel you're not too sure who he is or she is and you're not too sure which version of that person you're going to get when you turn up to work tomorrow. Be true to yourself and always be consistent with that. And that builds a fellowship, I think, um, and and a, and a trust that's fundamental, I think, to any leader. So that that's where I would always start. And then beyond that, I think you know, build. You know, if you if you're always trying to make the right decisions to build a business for the long term, and to really serve the key stakeholders that will be the future success, the long term success of the business, you can't go wrong. Um, and then create an environment where it's just easy for people to work where you take all of the crap out of it and you just create an environment where, you know, people just feel it's easy to just do the right things. It's easy to just put issues on the table. It's easy to give bad news. That's a really important one. You know, a lot of businesses get stuck. No one wants to give bad news. Put it out there. You know, there's always going to be bad news. There's nothing, you know, there's, you're not failing because there's bad news in a business. It's just how you deal with that bad, bad news that's important. And those fundamental things have served me well. You know, I, I, I don't get it right all the time, believe me. I try to. I don't get it right all the time. 
I think there's a lot of other lessons I'm still looking forward to learning, but they've served me well up until now. And John, how has this applied at, at ZipTaps? You came to ZipTaps around seven years ago, is that right? Uh, six years ago, yeah. Okay. And this is an Australian-made product in Condal Park in New South Wales. And you, you were telling me you've got, Buckingham Palace have got these amazing hot cold water, sparkling water taps. It's it's an amazing story, Zip. I mean, look, I feel like super privileged. Uh, I, I came into the business six years ago. It was a family-owned business for 60-plus years um, run by – it was actually a family-owned business. Michael Crouch owned it. Um, it was really him. It wasn't anyone family. else. It was him. He ran it as his business. And then he sold it seven years ago to private equity, to Quadrant Private Equity, Um very sadly, Michael passed away two years ago. He was quite a remarkable man. And this was a company that was built on real innovation. It's very unusual to have an Australian-based company that is considered a global leader in its space and is considered the global innovator in its space. Way back, you know, 1975, when Michael launched the first ever instant boiling water product in the world. And since then, has always been an innovator. Very unusual for an Australian business to stay in that position for that long and to keep manufacturing here. And so, yes, you know, we have zip taps all over the world. We have zip taps in Buckingham Palace and they're made in Condell Park. I think that's super cool. So, you know, when I came into the business, I knew I was coming into something special and people, you know, felt proud to be part of it. But Michael sold the business and when Michael left, he left a huge hole. And it was a very, you know, family-led family style of business leadership. So I came in and, and, you know, had to sort of build, you know, something that could replace Michael. I couldn't do it myself. I think it's very hard, you know, to replace someone like a Michael. I needed a team of people at the top to do that. And it's been a wonderful six years journey with me. We've subsequently um, been sold to an American company. So we're, we're owned now by an American company, but we're still very much, you know, we run it as our business here and they respect that and they love us for it. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a tremendous Australian success story, really proud to be part of it. And I feel pretty privileged because this is not, this is Michael's legacy and Michael's family's legacy. And, and I feel I get to sit on his shoulders, which is a pretty impressive place to sit. Which says a lot about you really, John, and the leadership viewpoint that you have and how you've brought that to bear in this instance. I just want to thank you so much for being with me thank today you. and for sharing all of these mindful, reflective points about developing a leadership credo. So thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Margie. Thank you. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.